WLRN Video presents Hey, this is Joey Bright. I just had the pleasure of having a sit down in Zoom anyway with Kelly J. And for WLRN, I hope that this brings you a lot of pleasure. This is a very casual conversation. And make sure that you listen to everything else that WLRN has to offer. From YouTube to the WordPress, look at the Facebook page, and even the Twitter account. WLRN is the original turf radio. Enjoy this wonderful conversation with Kelly J of Standing for Women. There we go. It is so lovely to finally meet you after, you know, years now of watching you. And I know that we share some things in common. We don't believe in true trans and there's Mm -hmm. some other things, but really welcome to the WLRN, Women's Liberation Radio News. I'm a volunteer and I've been wanting to do an interview with you for, for a while now. And, you know, I've been watching a lot of your interviews and just your spots and seeing that you have had to fill that role of being put on the spot, of being challenged, or just being invited and having to kind of defend things in a way that I thought, you know, I would really love after all the different stories that I've heard you tell in your own journey and trying to put pieces together. And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to just have an honoring of you and find out who the heck you are, how you came from what I believe is in 2015, correct me if I'm wrong, with Mumsnet, but I wanted to hear your trajectory through that, through creation of Standing for Women, your association with women like Venice, your friendship, um, to where we are now, to where I would say, I believe that you have created one of the most iconic, and as I said to you earlier, I feel over time that the taking the definition of woman, that's simply, but you've chosen a font, you chose to have white letters against a black background, you've projected this in places. I think it's equivalent, and I hate to say in a way because I can't think of a female artist that is equivalent to the idea of an Andy Warhol and the Campbell soup can going around the world. Um, So I honor you that way. And I would just like to ask you, please talk from what happened with um, your introduction. How did you become peak trans at all? Okay, well, thanks very much for having me. Uh, really lovely to meet you too. I So in about 2015, um, we had a conservative government elected and they had been part of a coalition. And I just think nobody thought that they were gonna get in. And so, um, you know, much like if you're st- if people are still on the left, uh, they have no idea that there is a genuine opposition um, <laughs> that will go and vote. Uh, and so we had no idea. And so when they were elected, everybody was bereft. Um, and I just joined this massive group of women called Awesome Lefty Women. And when I joined them, there were about 400 and it went to about 20,000. And in this group, it was women and it was a lot of women um, Women weren't really talking about whether they were married, whether they were straight, whether they were lesbian, whether they were bisexual, what they did for a living. Sometimes they talk about that. We didn't know whether each of us were mothers. It was just purely political conversation. Um, 
nobody was talking about real personal things unless it was pertinent to politics. And, and then some men joined. And it was the first time I sort of, it was the first time I'd seen men in women's groups and spaces. And more alarming than them being included, quite frankly, was the fawning of other women. I think that's been throughout this whole last six years, the fawning of women um, and the, uh, the invitation for men to erode our rights by the women is, is probably the most galling thing over the last few years. Uh, but anyway, so I'm in this group and then this guy joins and we have like a, we have a culture of Northern working class comics in the United Kingdom when I was growing up that told sexist, horrible jokes, racist, sexist, just horrible men, the sort of nasty comedy. And this guy just, that's the voice I heard when he posted and these men were posting soft focus selfies in sort of uh, 1980s sexy secretary gear. Um, and then loads of women would go, oh, you look so amazing. I wish I could do my makeup like you. <laughs> and I'm like, there's something really weird going on here. This guy joins, he tells a really, really sexist uh, joke about violence against women. And I just said, are you, are you sure you actually even identify as a woman? because uh, I was using that language because I didn't, at that point, I don't think I, I hadn't heard it enough to know exactly what it meant. And, and he went nuts and loads of women went nuts and they were all like, you can't say that, you're transphobic, you're a turf. And then I was like, ah, okay, we're not allowed to talk about this. Well, that's literally all I'm going to talk about. And then I didn't last very long in that group. So that was my first sort of, realizing what had happened. I'd heard about Mitch Fest, but I genuinely thought at that time that a trans, somebody who called themselves trans was a really vulnerable, quiet, a little bit disturbed, creepy man, but not, um, not autogynophilia, not, I don't want, I wouldn't want to be in a room on my own kind of men. I just thought they were misfits, you know, just disturbed, um, but not particularly harmful misfits. Uh, and then obviously I've had quite an education since then. So that's my, that's my peak trans. Mm. And then how did that lead you to your next project or thing or thought process? So then I started talking about it in a variety of groups and labor groups. I got kicked out and these words kept being used again and again. Then somebody messaged me who I'd known on Mumsnet. So I'd been on Mumsnet since 20, uh, 2006. And so, and quite a prolific poster. And so I was, you know, Posey Parker, it's a name that's quite easy to remember. And that's where my whole thing comes from, uh, just because Posey and Parker were two names on the list for my daughter, who isn't called Posey or Parker. And so that's where the name comes from. And, um, I got together with these women. They were in a group called Fair Play for Women. And uh, that was a, just a Facebook group started by a woman called Cherry Austin. It was her inception. And then Cherry started the website and started this sort of reaching out to other people. But that was the first group. And so that was, you know, then you were beginning to realize where you couldn't talk about it and language was being more and more snipped. Um, and then I had, you know, a little bit of a, 
horrific experience with women in the movement where they just started massively defaming me and saying horrible things about me. And so um, I thought, well, I still want to do, oh, I know. Then I'd been arrested, then I'd been interviewed under caution. I'm so sorry. I don't even know my own story. Forgot about the rest there. (laughs) (laughs) So then what happened is I got a text. Uh, When was that? Must have been October. No, it was 20. I'm going to say 2018 in January or February. I got a text from the police and I thought that must be nonsense like why would I get a why would I why would the police text someone to say we want to talk to you I just don't even believe it and so I ignored the text and I kept getting them and then I got a phone call and the policeman uh, left his details and so I phoned him back and they said uh, we would like you to attend an interview um it's voluntary and he was like really jovial friendly happy um talked for about 14 minutes, told me it was Susie Green and she'd complained about uh, six tweets of mine on Twitter. And he was even sympathetic in this call about what my point of view might be. And we all talk about stuff around the meal table. And and, um, I think I'd mentioned Trump and said, well, we're allowed to say what we like about Trump because he's a public figure and she's a public figure. Anyway, uh, so then I talked to this group and they said, you need a lawyer and somebody recommended someone incredible whose name I can't remember and so I phoned him and he was quite aghast and we went to the interview with a prepared statement and they tried to charge me for six tweets which included things like Janet Mock is a man um that castration uh was child abuse um uh, what uh, something about uh, mermaids being like the child catchers mm. at Pride by giving out sweets and ice creams and working with uh, Wool's ice cream, mm. and uh, and the guy said <laughs> the guy said at one point um, the hate crime officer he said oh you say castration uh, sex reassignment surgery includes you know is castration well it's not <laughs> just so all right mate so I was still doing the whole no comment uh because that's in the UK that's what you do uh you do have to answer but you can say no comment um they tried to charge me with um nuisance uh public nuisance uh conspiracy because there were other people talking the same as me because oh I don't know I'm talking the truth um and this is malicious communication. I'm sorry, this huh? is online is what they're talking about. This is all they're talking about my tweets. They got my information. At the time there were jihadis. Um, you know, in the news there had been jihadis where they couldn't get the information from Twitter to locate these people. And they got my information from Twitter. They got all my contact details and my actual name because I was Posey Parker on Twitter. Um, and so uh They tried to charge me. They sent it to the Crime Prosecution Service, which decides whether or not to proceed with charges, and they decided they they wouldn't. And that was appealed by Susie Green, and it failed again. So that's then I went into the Times. Then I went to the House of Commons with my friend Venice, um, who her and I had had... We started our friendship with a a little bit of a... uh, 
a set two, which is always same with Magdalene. Uh, we sort of had a bit of a who are you kind of. Um, like a meet and greet? Pardon? A, a meet and greet, you mean, in person? No, I mean an argument online. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, set two, is that what you said? Yeah, set two. Um, sorry. So we had, we had this sort of, um, you know, a bit of a, I've, it's happened to me a lot and I end up really good friends with these people, but it's a bit of a, um, a fronting kind of sorting each other out. And, and then she messaged me when I got arrested and when I was invited to be interviewed and she was like, are you okay? And then, uh, I was going to go and talk at Millwall, which is a very, um, which is a football club with a lot of violent hooliganism in its past. And then they canceled Venice's talk. So I ended up talking in the House of Commons. And so I, I don't know if you've ever had this, but because people were frightened on my behalf, I was expected to be somehow courageous for just attending the interview, which is, you know, I, it's, a, it's a very, I appreciate the accolades, but I mean, what else do you do? You just do it, don't you? It's not a particular act of bravery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that sort of propelled me into some sort of spotlight. Mm. So th- that's where your friendship started with Venice Allen, you're saying? And you, you, had, a, you had a little with Magdalene as well online. Mm-hmm. How, did, how, did these, how did these get resolved? How did they get um, friendships? I don't know. I think, I think what happens in those, in those kind of honest... Uh, unguarded conversations you actually find out who people are I mean as long as you're not terribly as long as you're not abusive you're not name calling although Magdalene was quite drunk when we had ours Um, but as long as you're not really abusive it does kind of settle it does push somebody and then you find yourself having a great deal of respect and Magdalene was somebody every time there was um, and she got attacked by similar people who attacked me uh, before she was diagnosed and as soon as um, anyone attacked me she would always sort of give me a call and see if I was all right and um, yeah it was you know it's it's very sad that she's no longer with us mm-hmm. but that's uh, that's really what happened with with Venice and then her and I just have become like great friends. And this, um, did this association cause the two of you to think about, or was there a particular thing that occurred that you said, you know, I think I want to do something like start a standing for women or before standing for women happened, like, where's that gap between you're talking about knowing, getting to know these women, what was the next stage then? Because we're still not at the point where you've come up with this iconic dictionary okay I'll try and race through it so the next thing that happened is um some of the women on the left the socialist feminists uh so-called they um released a really damning horrible bunch of lies about me and because of that so I was I was having quite a significant voice just by virtue of probably a little bit of the fact that I'm like I am and then also being interviewed under caution so then I was quite known and so um and Posey Parker and the whole thing just uh, was just worked as a message mm-hmm. and uh they put out this statement that basically accused me of being racist um islamophobic 
uh what else was it um oh just horrible just inferences and horrible things and because of that I then felt like I had to retreat so I had to be behind something but I couldn't not do anything so then what I did is I sort of secretly started putting out it then was a what can we do? Because people have to talk about this. Uh, how much is it to advertise in the Times? And it was like 20,000 to 40,000 pounds. Like, well, I don't think we could do that. So then it was about creating a story, uh, a new story. It was about putting it out there somewhere, putting what was happening out there somewhere. And I just sort of started thinking what literally right at the center, the very epicenter of everything that's happening, what is it? And it was literally erasing the word woman. It was meaning, it was taking the word away from us that kind of pr protected us in all sorts of ways, being able to name who we are, being able to name our, being able to name men. Um, and it was just this language. And so, I mean, nothing is, is less, uh, confrontational than a dictionary definition um and think. so yeah I mean obviously it is because they uh it's now my definition if you ever look on twitter they sort of call it posy park every someone some <laughs> woman adult human female it's like posy parker's definition which has a double thing for me number one I love the fact that they constantly associate with me with that so that means that they do think of me often but also it must really 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 annoy women that don't like me very much <laughs> it's like you've assigned you've assigned the definition now you mm, don't like it's that right <laughs> year what year is that are we saying 2000 this is september this is july 2018 2018 yeah 2018 was quite a year for all of us i know they really started ramping up mm. wow yeah. so you come up with this idea but then what takes shape and, and in this i want to ask do you have a background in advertising promotions what's your background well I haven't worked for a really long time I did I didn't work in sort of the creative side of advertising I did work in um like magazines but industry comms media magazines what did you do? Oh, I basically put together advertising and promotion no nothing nothing particularly wonderful but it was lucrative but it wasn't um it wasn't particularly creative it was you know was, no one's going to believe that at this point, well, not with well, what it wasn't creative. you were doing. It sounds like you're minimizing it. I'm assuming, obviously, you. So you had a successful, you had a successful career a while back in magazines, in promotion of things, in coming up. Yeah, with, well, look, basically selling advertising. Selling. So, so you were yeah. sales. I was just sales. I'm yeah. Yeah. Just sales. sales. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I've got some terrible stories where I would, I would just, I, yeah. Anyway, I was, I was successful at doing sale at selling. Gotcha. Um, so how so, did, how did this get then uh, in this form? Well, first of all, it was going to be buses, but they're expensive taxis. They wouldn't have done it. Um, so it was really looking, it was, it was cost. It was just looking at cost. Now it didn't need to go anywhere. Wonderful. Didn't need to be digital. It just needed to be somewhere for the trans rights activists and uh, let's not call them trans rights activists yeah. for um, right, men. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for some men to decide that they hated it, that they really didn't like it, that it wasn't okay. And to start saying terrible things about it, which obviously that was the invitation. Yeah. So 
then it was like, then we knew it was going to be a paper billboard um, because they're the cheapest thing. And obviously the white, white on such a vast space on a billboard with black lettering, that was never going to be any good. The idea of black and white, plain English, um, that was always, you know, that's quite a basic thing. And so this particular font, like choosing the word woman that looked most sort of almost most like um, really basic writing, but not primary. So you couldn't really use a font like Arial mm -hmm. or whatever. I didn't want anything with the A where the A sort of went like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? So those things, those things were definite. Oh, I have got an A like that. Really? But, uh, yeah. You know, it's not, I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, it's anyway. Yeah, right underneath there is what I think you're talking about, the way that you did the word. It almost looks like a, an ups, uh, a, a horseshoe. The, yeah, the so this is the phonetic. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it was just about it being really basic. Uh, it had to sort of fill a space. So it couldn't be too tall, couldn't be narrow. Um, and all of those things, I think they did come into play. Uh, you know, I probably spent about two days just putting different lettering on and then we sent the copy it went up but that's about you having that background right having that eye for what is going to be aesthetically with the kind of punch that you were looking for you know if you had just come up with this and not had any background at all with that I can't imagine it having the success that well, it I mean you say background I think I think um, I love you for it, but um, I don't really, I can't say that I, that the stuff I did 20 years ago or eight, yeah, 20 years ago has got anything to do with, there's no skill set in there that lends itself to this. I think it's just an, inst it's an instinct thing. I think some people, you know, I think we all have an eye, don't we? More often, we know what we don't like when we look at something. So we know what is off. True. And then we just have to work. So it's it's just about that. It's just about thinking it had to fill the space. It couldn't be, the word woman couldn't be too much bigger than the bottom. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much skill is involved in that, but it worked. <laughs> So you went from a billboard and then what was the next, uh, the next physical thing that you went to? Um, oh, buses. So buses in Edinburgh, uh, they got removed. Um, billboard in Leeds digital that got taken down uh, Two billboards, digital billboards outside of Waitrose in a posh part of London. They got taken down and then so I got involved with a um, sort of a guerrilla uh, projectionist. And so we thought uh, Parliament was out. So then we projected um, the dictionary definition of the word woman onto the National Gallery, which is really near Trafalgar Square, mm -hmm. uh, the Royal Opera House, which is in Covent Garden, and the BBC building. Um, the first two were just about aesthetics, just about taking a really nice picture to share on social media. But the BBC was clearly because the BBC have been terrible, terrible, mm. terrible. So mm. we wanted to send a message there. And that was really exciting. 
And then I also projected the dictionary definition of the word woman onto the West Yorkshire Police Headquarters up in Leeds. And why them? Why them? I know that Leeds is very woke, but... Well, they're the ones that sent two police officers down from Leeds to my area to interview me. And they have done numerous really dodgy things. And it's also an area where there is like a... It's called a managed zone. It's basically a safe haven for pimps. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's the worst. It's just, I went to university there and it was, it was the last city on earth you'd expect to be woke. Let's put it that way. Like proper, a little bit backwards, a little bit sexist, um, you know, just, just not that place. Was it? It's very working class, is it not? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably isn't anymore. Not so much. Interesting. Not in the Yes, I know someone that we both know. Isabel Staffy has been doing such tremendous work in Leeds around all of that. Mm. Uh, it's horrible. So again, we're not at the point yet, I think, in this storytelling where for women has become something. So is that next or is there something else that, that goes on? You're no, st- I've just totally missed it. So Standing for Women came about because I was originally we were talking about a political party. So I'd already bought a website called Standing for Women, and that was going to be about a route into politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I needed to sell the T-shirts... I needed so that was that so then we thought the billboard and so in order to raise money for the billboard I sold t-shirts with a dictionary definition and stickers and nobody knew when they were buying the t-shirts and stickers that there was going to be a billboard Uh because what we couldn't afford was any of the TRAs getting wind of it and stopping it and so it really was secret so when people saw it they were just you know it was it was totally great. <laughs> it really was quite amazing. I think people were just so, it was just such the right moment. It was the right thing. It was incredibly public. It was massive. It was, people couldn't avoid it. All the women that had been shouting into the ether and being ignored felt that their voices were somehow um, stuck up there with that word. And so it really just galvanized women. Um, and it also uh, was a fabulous dog whistle. So this is still 2018. Is that when? Yeah, this that's when that's when Standing for Women started. It seems like that was an enormous year of growth. And so at this point, then you've you obviously had Standing for Women in mind. It's it seems like that whole thing from Mumsnet and. Again, probably something that we have in common. When somebody says you can't do something or you shouldn't look into something or you're becoming obsessed with something um, and you need to stop, you need to get away, that hmm. you're going you're gonna to go for it. You know, that you've, you know that you've hit a nerve and you know that something's going on and you've got to go further and you've got to go deeper. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. I'm also not very good at um, being told, not very good at being told what to do. And I'm not very good at walking by um, and watching uh, somebody else um, be treated badly. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to, I'm always going to be, my husband constantly tells me I'm going to get hit. Uh, not by him, <laughs> not by him, by some random stranger when I intervene. You know, I intervene all the time in situations. Um, if, 
I, I can't keep quiet. So if somebody told me about a situation at home that I felt wasn't very good, I would be the one, I, I would be the person, I cannot walk away from something having something I still wish to say. And so, uh, you know, when people, often people say, oh, I'm sure you're not in this actually, Jerry, but often people say, ah, oh, and then I wish I'd said, I never have that. Often I might think, I wish I hadn't said, <laughs> but I never think I wish I said, oh, if only I had said in that moment, because I will say it. Yeah, I'm usually thinking, and then I wish I had added. <laughs> so still on this on this journey, you're doing this thing. 2018 is, I mean, that's where here in San Francisco, where it heated up with the, what used to be called the lesbian and gay parade, you know, just became the LGBT blah, 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 but it just became pride. And mm. thought, great, all these straight people are going to come from the suburbs and they're going to go, let's go to the parade, you know, because we're part of it now. We could just be proud, everybody be proud. We used to make jokes about that, but that's actually what really happened. And beyond that, and in 2018, uh, lesbians were literally attacked by other lesbians in what we had here in San Francisco, still have, but it's not really what it is, called the Dyke March. It's the Saturday night that precedes the Sunday. That's the big celebration, was used to be a celebration. Yes, and women were attacked by other women literally in that. And, and yes, that's where we are. I mean, California is, I think you, you know from across the pond that anything that happens in California pretty much, which I think is, having grown up in Los Angeles myself, that so much of what drives anything in California is Hollywood. It's the culture of, you know, the entertainment industry with music, everything else. So TV shows, everything that I know get exported to you all now. And now that we have Netflix and whatever, you have to have all those things. So between things that happen between California and New York, both of those things become extremely influential about for the Midwest and everybody else. And then of course, you know, it gets exported. So yes, the state that I'm living in, I do have um, the background that I have that I was trying to um, sort of glean to see what, what, your, what your influences were. And maybe that's just the question that I need to ask you. Do you think as a little girl or a teen, even when you're saying that, when you're sort of downplaying that whatever it was that you did in advertising or sales, what were the kinds of influences that you had visually? It could have been art. I'm wondering if there are particular people or, you know, mediums, like was it film? Was it paintings? Was anything like that that, that, that got you in particular? I want to know a little bit more about your background in that well, way. Well, I quite like being different. So when everybody else had like pop stars, uh, I had posters of uh, Marilyn Monroe. I was quite obsessed with her from about the age of, 14 I think somebody told me like before her surgery before she I think she must have had a nose job when so she had brown hair mm -hmm. and somebody told me I looked a bit like her and that was quite enough for me uh, to be a little bit obsessed with her um I did a lot of performance so uh but nothing like nothing um uh deep and meaningful I mean musicals <laughs> so okay. I did some of that uh, I tell you what it is. I, I, there's a couple of things that I think shaped who I. One is birth. I think that often we are born with who we are, and I think uh, looking at my four children, 
the great stuff about them, I don't think I've had anything to do with. I'm not talking about manners or anything like that, but just their, who they are, I think that's how they're born. I've got, one of my children is very stubborn and he started shutting his eyes and putting his hands over his ears when he didn't like something, when he was like before he could talk. And that's exactly who he is <laughs> right now, decade, a, a decade and a bit along he's just that kid right so um that's that's one thing and I'm I've got just an older sister and my parents are married and stayed together and very young so my mother had my sister when she was 18 um we grew up with not very much money which I had no idea we didn't have very much money I thought we had as much money as everybody else um so I think that's that's something I think a childhood outdoors creating my sister and I would go and dig up clay in the garden. Um, you know, not, not really allowed to watch TV. Um, what else? And then when I was, so I can sing. And I can, I can sing kind of like a Doris Day, I can sing. And so when I was little, my cousin and me shared a role at primary school. This is a very long story, but I, I do gen genuinely think it shapes um, who you are. And we both stood up, we got told impromptu to stand up in assembly and, and sing a solo together. So sing it, sing this song that we were both singing in this play. And I sang it really, really well, and she didn't. And she didn't because she was nervous, and I did because I was also a bit nervous, but I was very good. And from that day, <laughs> girls just used to have a go at me. That's, and that lasted, they took that into secondary school, and I never, I never ever thought that that was anything to do with me, which as an adult, that is true. But just, I just had really high self-esteem, but I was also kind and I wasn't arrogant, but I just, I just always had this kind of, I am right. I'm, you know, nothing's going to take me off this course that I am, I am right about this. I'm completely right. I'm right about this. You know, many of us, I'm sure, feel the same. But I'm, so I think that's, that's what, I can't remember what your question was. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, I went down that route, but um, sorry. Well, no, not at all. I apologize. It's very interesting because it sounds like, uh, would you say that your parents were very supportive of your, of your agency, of yourself and how you were? I don't know. They were quite, look, I mean, I grew up in the 70s in a small town and I, I remember thinking I was great because I never pushed in in a queue. You know, I was, I was definitely, I knew, I, I wanted, I, like, I quite like order in that way. I like fairness and justice. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I'm particularly unique. I think a whole generation of kids where I grew up, that's, that's, I think we were just really lucky. 1970s, 1980s to grow up, we were lucky. I also developed breast at 10. And, and so boys decided that they would start talk, pulling my bra strap and so on. So I was quite feisty. I could really, I, I could like verbally, I could, I could certainly look after myself. Um, but we also, I think it's, it's really, interesting for my generation of women in the United Kingdom that we both had a female prime minister and a queen 
So the two most important people in our country were both women. And Margaret Thatcher, um, and I'm a bit of a revisionist now that I look at look back at her, I admire her much more than I've ever admired her. I think her achievement to be prime minister and her strength and conviction, whether I agree with what she, what she was saying is another issue. Um, and I'm sure some of the policies I will never agree with. But I do think that she certainly lent um, uh, legitimacy to girls in the UK being thinking that they could do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. A bit like Kamala Harris, right? I don't like the woman. I don't particularly like her policies. But if that gives girls in the United States just even somebody to look at, that they could become that too. And I'm sure as soon as Biden pops his clogs, she will be president. Then mm -hmm. I think that that will have a profoundly positive impact even if she actually obliterates all women's rights. <laughs> you are listening to WLRN. Yes, very, very much so. Again, I'm in California. I worked on two of her campaigns. Ask me if I don't feel kicked in the teeth. Um, Anyway. It's all a lie, though. It's all a lie, this stuff. It won't, it can't last because it's not true. Um, moving on with this journey, I'm, I'm loving this. Yes, I really appreciate hearing that about, uh, about your childhood, about that spunkiness and stuff that you had, because we come to that in different ways. But you just um, shared something with me that I see yet one more thing we have in common. We're the second daughters, mm. right? That, those are supposed to be the rebel children. The first, child, the first child is usually wants all the approval and all that, you know. I couldn't be more opposite from my own sister who's six years older than I am. Extremely feminine, extremely concerned about what men think. It doesn't matter, just whatever men, you know, I think. And even in her older years now, it's still, there's so much there that, um, where we're different, but that she's come around now and she appreciates me much more because she doesn't want to put up with some with some crap that she's put up with i was always the rebel though so mm -hmm. um okay you've got standing for women you've 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 got that established you have a website you've got these other women that are coming around you do the billboard it's kept a real secret for a long time 2018 by this time i think you said it was july women must be feeling like some sense of power is coming around with this craziness that we're seeing in in the United States. We're looking to you and going, where are all these AGPs coming from? What the heck? And they're violent as hell. And then I don't remember where Maria McLaughlin got attacked. I don't remember what that time was, but how did that play out in what you were doing when she was attacked? I can't remember whether she was attacked before, I think she might have been attacked in 2018, also in the September, but it might have, that's really bad. Um, I can't remember. It was, I think it was the 13th of September, but I don't remember whether it was 2017 mm -hmm. and she was the first person to sort of have anything in the news or whether it was 2018. Um, I think it might have been Venice's first ever 
um, attempt at organizing a talk. So I think mm. Maria came way before me because, yeah, I think she did. So Venice is the first person. So Julia Long organized a talk called Thinking Differently in 2016. Mm -hmm. That was very much, that would have been um, already rad femmes uh, going to that meeting. I think Julie Bindle talked. I think Magdalene, Stephanie Davis Arai. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a that was great. And then Venice organized the first of these talks. Um, she did one in London, Conway Hall. That's where Maria got attacked. I think that was the September. And then she'd done another one uh, or two even before I met her when um, uh, we went to the House of Commons and had a meeting. So in so 2016, did you see Julia Long's, uh, that organized event? Did you see that and attend it? I didn't go to that, no. I, I mean, look, I have my my youngest then, I would have just recently moved house to a brand new area. And uh, that those sort of things, it just wasn't feasible. I wouldn't have had childcare. My um, parents were still living in China, I think at that point. And so I wouldn't have had any, I would, there's been no way that I could have attended that because okay. I can't take the kids. Well, I wouldn't anyway. But at some point, obviously, something shifted with um, with this idea of standing for women, the billboards, the T-shirts you've got. Um, one of the things that, oh, and, and in 2018 in London, that's where some women that summer, again, Pride Month, that's when, that's when Get the L Out, when a number of lesbians laid their bodies down in front of the entire uh, parade and... Uh, I was wondering if that was something that was in the news for you. Did that affect you? How did it, how did you find Well, I know Julia really well. So I would consider Julia one of my very good friends. And so we did, you know, obviously uh, these things, it's not just the news they create, it's the backlash. I think that is most uh, interesting is perhaps a rather dismissive word, but I think every time consciousness is raised around these issues, and you see how many people are very, very angry that um, women want to highlight what the hell is happening to them. I, I think it's both brilliant because people need to know. And, and every time this happens to women, more women get peaked. Mm -hmm. uh, more women realize that there's something going on because there's someone angry that lesbians like, you know, why would lesbians want to stop the pride parade? Like, you know, those questions are raised. So yeah, it was it was big news, um, and interestingly, it was roundly condemned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was something that also was stimulated because of the women that got attacked here in San Francisco. They reached out to them, and it was that that's that part of 2018 that got intense. Mm. Um, between as, as 2018 was wrapping up, where can you remember where were you sitting at that point with this organization and what, what had you done at this point? Or different? Well, by that point, I'd been on the television uh, twice and uh, I'm not going to lie, they were quite successful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so it did make the news, you know, the, the billboard made the news in um all sorts of countries, but really was in most large newspapers over here. And then I went on this morning, which is like a magazine, um, very 
that well-watched program. Uh, and I also did this interview with Sky News with Adrian Harrop. And that was, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. And it so provides many hours of, of entertainment for so many people. <laughs> I mean, it was, I don't know that I was the first to say that trans women aren't women, but um, I was the first that had said it for a, a while since it had been something that you couldn't say. And I think that it just became a bit of a, oh, someone said it. Thank goodness someone said it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it just, it launched Standing for Women, like it propelled Standing for Women forward. Uh, we raised lots more money through t-shirts um, and it just, you know, it then continued. Then I'm like, once I've done the Adrian Harrop interview and I don't, I don't think there's been another interview um, maybe aside from Kira Bell mm -hmm. that has had any real impact or, or real um, change that's sort of a bit of a game changer. Like Kira Bell being interviewed, clearly her story is a game changer. Her court case, uh, her bravery is is totally just mm -hmm. exceptional. And it's, mm -hmm. it's changed the landscape and it's brought people in to this fight that had no idea what was going on. And I would argue that... Um, no, I, I wouldn't argue. I would say that my interview uh, with Adrian Harrop probably had uh, a, a dramatic impact at that time also. No, absolutely. The thing about Kira Bell that's so lovely um, is that, and, and she uh, was willing to be one of the speakers. She sent a, a pre-recorded clip for the Can I Get a Witness conference that happened last August. The thing that sets Kira aside, I would say, is unlike Americans, unlike an awful lot of Americans who sue, they want to sue for themselves. They may want to make a point to, you know, help other people. But the thing that was so shocking, I think, for a lot of people was that Kira sued for the good of the, the greater good, yeah. something that yeah. you and I both, uh, it appeals to that sense of social justice, of something of fairness. Kira didn't go after that about herself and she still has that kind of integrity and that thing about her. I think we couldn't have had a better woman to take to take that thing on. Mm. Although frankly, I wish she would sue. Um, uh, and I understand, I don't know whether that, that decision is absolute, but I personally think that she needs some financial compensation for mm. her suffering and for what's happened to her. Mm -hmm. And look, I, I don't want the UK to be a litigious nightmare like the US, mm -hmm. because often, you know, some things aren't financial um, and some things become cheap when you put a price on how much suffering. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder whether actually, because the Tavistock um, has almost got off scot-free and then they had this appeal where they said that, well, parents can consent for their kids mm -hmm. so uh, because of those things I I think actually costing them um costing them an arm and a leg uh, which uh in place of uh Kira's body but costing the um NHS a substantial amount of money might make them pause and really think if they want to be doing this to kids mm-hmm mm-hmm this leads me to 2019, and I think I'm skipping a lot of months. I don't know how your early part of 2019 was looking, but another thing that you did that really affected me and my sense of 
what I have relations with two desisters in Canada. They refuse to use the word detransition because as they've said to me, I never went anywhere. They mm. call themselves desisters, which I suppose I could say because I'm somebody who refused to accept free testosterone on the street when it was being handed to me by a guy in a little metrosexual, you know, sort of suit and little Brooks Brothers thing saying, here, I've got what you want. I got what you've been, what you need. And they were doing free testosterone. That's another story. But uh, the thing that you did that really, that really helped to, it helped to feed into my brain what I had been wanting to do starting in 2019. I started thinking about these clinics. These mm. clinics need to be protested. And you went in front of where in July, 2019 with those enormous images. So that was a Stonewall conference where they were basically, um, manipulating educators into teaching stonewall crap in schools mm -hmm. um because we don't we don't have clinics making mega bucks um i don't feel it's appropriate in the uk uh to go outside of those clinics because um often our clinics are not in a big private hospital they're they're the nhs um, and sometimes people are going in traumatized, like they might have reconstructive surgery or those things. So we haven't done that because it's a very different picture in the United Kingdom. Um, but we did feel I did want to go when I heard that Stonewall were actually having a conference about how great they are. I wanted people to understand what it <laughs> what it was that they were going to. And the, the highlight of the day, I mean, I, look, I, I had these massive I think they were about five foot tall um, boards with images and slogans. And um, this one guy was shouting abuse at us. He was running and he was so close to running into a tree. It was an absolute perfect. <laughs> it was like, it's like running like this, calling us all names. And then he just stopped just short <laughs> of running into a tree, which clearly would have been the, the best thing that would ever happen to me ever in my life. <laughs> So I wanted to know if you got any pushback specifically. I was bringing up these these women that I know that are desisters in Canada because going at start beginning to do the protests as as can I get a witness is doing now across the country. I got some pushback on Twitter, although I personally didn't because I don't exist on Twitter. Um, but the idea of having real images of a double mastectomy was something that that came up and as i said my people in canada said joey if you're going to continue doing these please please show the world these images the united states has got to wake up and they both had told me one had been on testosterone and had done this faking for nine years the other one for 10 they're both in their late 30s now and they don't really relate to many of the detransitioners that we see on YouTubes and stuff. But they both said to me, if I had seen anybody in Canada protesting with an image like that, I never would have had my breasts cut off. Why? So there's that, you know, there's, I don't think that there's necessarily a right or a wrong about it. I had heard that you got some pushback for having the huge image and, <laughs> and the double and the double mastectomy. Can you tell me more about that? 
Well, it's the usual lot of women that uh, criticize me. And they sort of said, oh, it's like uh, anti-abortion. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's um, it's imagery. And, you know, we we think of, um, we, it's at the Vietnam War where the little girl's naked. Um, that image stopped the war, right? Um, we think about Tank Man when we think about Tiananmen Square. Uh, there's a there's something an image can do that often words can't and you can't I don't want I don't want the people that are teaching that to ever get away from their mind's eye what really they are teaching that actually what they are telling kids teachers to tell kids to do eventually leads to um, the whole uh, flesh of a forearm being cut off the necrosis of thighs um, I mean, we didn't do the the fake penis. Uh, we just did the mastectomy, uh, the nippleless uh, chest uh, that's rather concave. We just we just did those images, and the pushback. Frankly, I just I don't even care what those people think, mm-hmm. because I am not like I think even um, J.K. Rowling talked about. Uh, we shouldn't use these words like manip- uh, um, mutilation mm-hmm. and uh, because of uh, so-called detransitioners. And I'm not trying to reach detransitioners. I'm not even trying to reach women that have already done this to themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to reach them. I'm trying to teach teachers not to teach it. I'm trying to tell politicians not to endorse it. And I want parents to understand that when their little girl comes into them and says, I'm a boy, when they're seven, I want those parents to understand that if they don't put that kid right at that point, if they don't act correctly at that point, if they do affirm, then what they're really doing is taking their daughter down a path where she will have both her breasts cut off, where she will try and have a fake penis that will result in 30 corrective surgeries where she's got numerous holes in her urethra where she's urinating out of her um anus mm-hmm. um where she can't have an orgasm otherwise she goes into atrophy and she's in agony and needs a hysterectomy i i don't want anyone not to be perfectly um educated about what it is they are really talking about when they talk about this lovely word of born in the wrong body transition and all those silly euphemisms that don't mean anything Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll try and do short, shorter calm answers. No, this is no, this is fine. This is this is, you know, this is a this is a long form interview. Now I want to get you into what you've been obviously you had the YouTube. You started doing YouTubes. What got you to start doing that? And why have they not completely kicked you off? I'm always amazed when I tune in and she's still there. And it's like, well, they've hidden me for quite a long time, I think, because my, my, I get a lot of engagement, like per video. I'm not saying I get more than anybody else, but if you think about my trigonometry, for example, that's now had a million views. That doesn't seem to have translated into views for me, despite the fact that I do get a lot of people that comment that they've they've not been notified or so I do wonder if I've had some sort of weird shadow banning that just puts me 
somewhere. Mm. Just for the fact that people do, I do get sort of thousands of views on each video and yet my subscribers don't seem to change at all for like a year. Um, so I do wonder about that. I don't know why I haven't been kicked off. Um, I, I have no idea why I've not been kicked off. Um, so the YouTube started because I did a Facebook Live video. I, did I do YouTube first? I'm not really sure, but I did this Facebook Live video where I went to this weird feminist meeting and it was, um, it was called Some Hat Pin Feminist History. And you sort of sat in a room and all around were posters about um, black women's rights, uh, suffragettes, just different feminist fights, um, the right to earn, and I'm not even gonna call it uh, what it's actually called, but the right for women to earn the same as men. Mm -hmm. um, all different little gains that we've had in this country. So 1974, you could have, uh, you could actually own something after divorce. Um, and so we're in this room and these, <laughs> these women read this rule thing out and they just, anyway, it was quite funny. And it was like really woke. And so I did a, a live video about it and I ranted quite a little bit and it got, I think in about two hours, it got 50, 60,000 views and then Facebook just deleted it. Um, but somebody had already saved it for me because we thought maybe it would get deleted. So uh, fortunately, I'd already say downloaded it. But um, yeah, so that sort of got me switched on to, well, I'll do Facebook videos. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively... I'm a bit lazy. I don't want to do research. I don't want to produce dry reports. Um, I don't. I don't want to do graphs. I don't. I mean, I am actually. I've commissioned some research at the moment. We're looking into the police and uh, the NHS, so I have commissioned some reports, but I'm not going to do them. Uh, <laughs> I. I'm good. I can switch on a camera and I can talk to it without any script or plan, um, and so that seems like a much better spend of my time yes but your brain has not stopped around this idea of centering women and this is what I wanted to get to as well is this idea of feminism you have been promoting yeah. this and I wondered how much how much really deep thought you had put into this because when you're challenging something like I showed you this earlier <laughs> when you're challenging something like feminism which of course has gone through and I know for a uh, long time feminists like myself that have this push-pull but never saying I'm never going to allow them to say that I'm not a feminist or that I won't call myself a feminist however I'm very interested in looking into new um, terminology new th I'm open to those kinds of things I hear you bring up feminist could you tell me what what is that to you and what what does it say and what is it what is it saying or not saying about whatever has gone before or or exists there in in tandem i mean feminism is not going to stop existing misogyny is not going to stop existing as a mindset either um what is what is this it's about so i hate the term gender critical I think that's ridiculous I think often gender critical just means I don't think men can be women um and so I don't think it's accurate a lot of people that I mean people call me gender critical I mean do I look like I'm uh criticizing uh so-called 
a gender expression. I don't think I am. Um, and anyway, I, I just, I don't even like using the word gender. I think it should be put in the bin. I think it's a useless, mm-hmm. horrible word that invited all of this crap. Um, and so I don't like the word gender. Um, so I wasn't going to use that. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a feminist. I don't, I didn't feel like um, feminism was an appropriate label for myself. And it's mainly because a it doesn't mean the same thing to most people um and b everybody just kept telling me i wasn't a good enough feminist oh you can't do that you're not a feminist you're not a feminist and i thought well fine i'm not a feminist fine have it uh you can't you can't beat me with that stick because i'm not one um i haven't read enough uh feminist theory and some of the things i don't agree with so uh, I do have a little bit of an issue about motherhood within feminism. Uh, I, I think, and I understand it. I understand in the second wave, women had to be unshackled from the burden and the expectation of having children. And I think absolutely. And probably the whole thing needed to be broken in feminism in order to rebuild something that was more appropriate for women. And I also think that. I'm entirely grateful for all the gains that the the blood, sweat and tears of feminists throughout um, history have made. And I don't mean to at all insult anybody who still calls himself a feminist. I just, what what I'm all about is I'm all about trying to convey a really clear message to people because I want everybody to understand exactly what is going on. And if you then say feminist, some people, you lose them right from the off. They're not coming with you. They're not going to listen to a damn word you say. Uh, they're not going to talk about it on the building sites. Uh, they're not going to have a coffee morning. They're not going to stand at the school gates talking about any of this because you're a feminist and they can a- attribute all kinds of nonsense to that terminology now. Um, from man-hating to um, pro-sex work uh, to pro-trans um, you know, they might be wrong, but that is, you know, that is a use of that word. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to offer women a word that meant, look, it simply means you care about women and girls and you know what they are. That's it. You don't have to read anything. You just have to have the instinct that you know that you want your elderly mother protected in her own home and cared for by only females. Um, or that if you have some sort of psychotic breakdown and you end up in a mental health, chronic mental health unit in our NHS, that there will be female only. Uh, that you want your daughter, when she goes to the toilet at school, that she's not going to have a boy in the cubicle next door. That's all you need to be a feminist. That's all you need um, for feminism. You just need to center females, uh, not completely exclusively. You're allowed to like men <laughs> and boys. Uh, but you have to understand that our journey is completely unique and uh, and it's globally unique. We have a global share exp- shared experience on the virtue of our biology. Um, and so that's kind of where it came from. I just, and, you know, maybe feminist will be used for five years and then feminism will claim its righteous and rightful place back in our consciousness and our language so that when someone says feminist, they know that it means 
centering women and girls, but I don't think that is the case uh, right now. Mm -hmm. We've got you coming to the United States at the point when this interview is going on, you'll be here in barely three months from now with the Sovereign Women's Lodge, I believe is, is that yeah. what the event is called? I think so. April Morrow is pulling together quite, uh, quite an event. What do you hope to bring to it? Oh, I don't know, a bit of English charm. <laughs> um, uh, a kind of a can-do, right? Because I think uh, it's probably very easy for me to say we're in a totally different culture in the United Kingdom. Uh, we do have um, paid-for healthcare. Uh, you know, we do have a, a single-payer healthcare provider that is free. You don't die of cancer if you're poor. Or you don't lose your house. Um, and so we do have different systems that are in place that mean that globally, that massive corporate uh, companies, pharmaceutical companies and big surgical hospitals can't put their hands on our kids. We also have a centralized um, education system. And so most through, we have a centralized curriculum. Um, basically you can go to a government department and you can convince them of something and that will have to be enacted throughout the country. So I know that I'm coming from a very different sort of political system and access to power. Uh, however, I think what I would like to bring is just to find the task at hand, know what the task is and get on with it. And none of this, uh, none of this tribal partisan, terrible, destructive, uh, particularly from women on the left, in fact, only from women on the left, who are so wrapped up in other arguments uh, that they can't let those go in order to define women. And I do want to say to those women, uh, the right to choose a safe and legal abortion is clearly a human right for women. But if you can't name one, you can't have that right anyway. Thank you very much. This has been uh, quite revealing. We now know many personal things about your, let's see, singing, I, which yeah. of course are going to have to be put to the test at some point, I suppose. Do you do any singing in the shower now? I'm just curious. I do. Yeah. I annoy my kids all the time. <laughs> One of the things I've heard you uh, joke about is that you have this, I think, a VHS tape from the 1980s on a, was it a dating show or something like that? I did, 1983. So I, I was 18 or 19. I think it's a great idea for you to raise money for Standing for Women, and that would be that you get that digitized and that it be a paywall put on to Standing for Women. And anybody that wants to see that has to pay about, no, oh, say, 20 what would you say? 20 pounds, 20 Ooh, quid. Uh, quite you know, a good idea. I think it would be hysterical. <laughs> and uh, I just, uh, I've enjoyed this so much. I hope it's been good for you. Been the lovely. Women's uh, Liberation Radio News. You said that you were aware of it and you're mm. aware of Thistle. Mm -hmm. point. Had you hear, heard any of the shows? Oh, it's so bad, Joey. I don't have time to, I, I hate people that say I don't have time, but I genuinely, <laughs> I, I just literally don't have time to do anything besides 
uh, get my orders done. I mean, I even have staff, um, but yeah, it's crazy. I'm so crazy busy, but uh, yeah, so sorry, no. I but don't. beyond the uh, the sovereign women, do you have any other plans before 2021 wraps up now? Any particular that you can talk about? Any big projects? Any? I've got another potential couple of dates in the US. Um, that's coming. I do Speaker's Corner, which is a, um, it's like a free speech. It's a historic place of free speech in the United Kingdom. The suffragettes had meetings there. So we are starting to do them. Uh, there used to be meetings in halls um, and there's something really vibrant about being on the street. You're not allowed any amplification. Uh, you're only allowed one banner, uh, but it's a, it's a place where you attract people who are just walking through the park uh, and it's really, it's lively. It's wonderful. So we are doing that. We are doing a picnic and um, speaker's corner uh, meeting well it's not me you're not allowed to uh, actually have meetings I just say I'm going there and people can come along if they want and that's in um on the 27th of June so those are going to be monthly we're going to just we're just going to build we're going to build a movement I often say to people that it's like you link arms and you find someone to protect and you link arms around them and then you can fit more people in that circle as more people grow strong enough to link arms with you. And eventually all women and girls are protected. Uh, another thing that I'm going to be launching soon is a crowdfunder to fund a privately funded, i.e. no government or council is allowed to tell us that we have, you know, is, is going to force us to have men. Um, and that's to um, fund a women's refuge. And that really will be a very symbolic um, start for something tangible. I think people need something to do. Mm -hmm. How did your first speaker's corner go after like six months of on the, oh, you just did that on the 23rd? Just great. Well, I sell umbrellas with adult human female on now. And it, it, obviously it's the UK. So it started raining and um, so many women in that um, group, had bought umbrellas that was just all these little pink umbrellas started popping up bright pink they are like that was uh but I am bringing out black ones because quite a few of my gender non-conforming uh <laughs> quite a few of my lesbian friends are like I'm not having a pink umbrella <laughs> so we have got a black one coming out with um white writing instead I but yeah you. it's just lovely and you know and I've been waiting I don't think do you have any keychains Wow, funny you should say that. And just a keychains. Keychain, the way that Women's Liberation Radio News ah. has a keychain. And it's got kind of that, you know, that lovely, it's silver on black background. Oh, that's very nice. So I'm just, <laughs> I've just put in an order today to do a little keychain that's actually a t-shirt with woman, adult, human, female on. Ah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I do have one. I've got, what's the other one? I've got one with it. I've got one made out of enamel. It's not this, but it's, I don't think I've got one here. I've got one made out of enamel, a little, um, uh -huh. it's, it's bigger. It's sort of like that. So okay. yes. Okay. Sounds good. Well, Kelly J, anything else that you'd like to say? Because it sounds like we've covered an awful lot of territory. And I think we've covered loads. Uh, no, I think, um, you know, I feel, I, I guess I feel in the UK because we, well, certainly in England, 
because we have managed to stop some of the things that other countries have not, for whatever reason, whether we were just forewarned because we could see what was happening in the United States, whether it's because we're quite small, uh, maybe because of how our uh, political parties and things are set up. But I really feel that the, the English women have an absolute duty to overturn some of the things that have happened uh, so that other countries have like a blueprint of how it can be done. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't mean that in any way to be patronising that other people can't do it, but I think that politicians in particular need to see how it's happened in other countries to understand that actually what's happening in America is not normal. It's mm-hmm. not truthful. It's based on a, a man's fantasy of what he would like a country to look like and how much he hates women. And so uh, I, I do think, I, I think British women really do have a duty to, to make sure we win this um, absolutely because then other countries and other women have a fighting chance. Maybe we never should have had the Boston Tea Party and kicked, kicked the Brits out. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to turn the recording off and hang on. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Women's Liberation Radio News. WLRN really looks for subscriptions and donations and whatever we need listeners. And if there's something that I really got out of talking with Kelly J was, we know she has a YouTube channel that's a, she's got over 33,000 subscribers or something. But she said that her subscribers have sort of stayed at a certain place. And that even somebody like that that's that popular, this is why it's so important that this original turf radio of WLRN gets that love. So remember to subscribe, share, like, do it all. And WLRN has these fabulous little things. You can see it's like it's like the poster. And they've also got these really cool glasses. Ever since I got sent one, thank you, Thistle. I've been uh, I've been using this a lot. So again, let's give the love where you can. When you can donate, it's great. But listening and passing on the word is really huge. So you can do it for Kelly J. Do it for WLRN. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks. <laughs>